Good morning. Good to see you this morning. My name is Stephen Elliott. I'm the pastor of high school ministries here at Grace. And the rest of the men, most of the men up at at church here are up at men's retreat this weekend. It's where most of our pastoral staff is. And Pastor John is speaking there. And uh, I just came back. I came back yesterday evening from men's retreat. And it was uh, very manly, lots of fun. I played some extreme bocce ball, and it was extreme. We were in the river and on dirt roads, and we went through one of those giant metal culvert things. It was it was pretty wild. Uh, it was a lot of fun, but it is a great privilege to be here this morning, be able to open up God's Word. Uh, we're going to start a new series where we, uh, for the next four weeks, where we'll be looking at our mission statement. I think that's something. Uh, very important and very valuable that we do on a regular basis. Uh, it's important that we come back to our our foundation, remember what we believe in and what our ultimate purpose is. And our mission statement, as you can see, is inspiring Christ-likeness by reaching out, raising up, and reverencing Christ together. This morning, I will be talking about inspiring Christ-likeness. Uh, next week, Pastor Eric will talk about reaching out to others, and Pastor Tim, the week after, we'll talk about raising up, and Pastor Brian, we'll talk about reverencing Christ, so I'm excited for, for those messages. Uh, inspiring Christ-likeness. Uh, this morning, I'm going to, my, my hope and desire is that we see that ultimately, we will never inspire Christ-likeness if we ourselves are not first and foremost inspired by Christ, and so my my desire this morning is uh, to remind us of all that we have in Christ, that we may be inspired by him. Have you ever received a present that uh, you maybe gotten on the surface, you weren't quite sure, you didn't quite understand what it was, or didn't fully understand what a great present it was? Uh, maybe you got it as when you were young, and you thought, oh, that's great, but I really wish I would have had a, you know, Legos or something, and it wasn't until you got older or maybe got to use it more that you really realized um, the magnitude of the present that you received, or maybe as you, on the surface, you're like, oh, it's, you know, it's a box, or it's, you know, it's a seized candy, and then you open it up and you realize, oh, what's really inside of it? And um, I, I got this from my uncle years ago when I was a, I think I was a senior in high school, and um, my uncle fly fishes, and this is a fly fishing case, by the way, in case you're like, what is that thing? Is he going to club me with it? Um, it's a, my uncle fly fishes, and, and I didn't really do that before, but one day I was over with him, and I was asking him about it. He's like, well, here, I'll show you, I'll show you how to do it, because it takes some, some technique. You know, not any Joe Schmo can go out there and fly fish. It takes, it's, it's an art. And uh, so we go out in his front yard and he puts his fly rod together and he kind of teaches me the basics and I, I enjoyed it. I wasn't the best at it. I think I got his line stuck in a tree or something. And, and uh, so, but I, I enjoyed it and I went home and my, my dad had an old fly rod. I'm not sure even where he got it. And so I, you know, I kind of used it a little bit and I, I liked it and I was telling my uncle about it. And so, um, you know, and I was just talking about how I'd like to get into it some more. And so uh, for Christmas that year, uh, I, I, you know, get a present from them and I open it up and it's this, it's this case. And I thought, wow, he gave me a case for my fly rod. And I was like, oh, thanks. And he goes, keep going. And I'm like, 
No. And so I unzip it like this and I open up and in it is a brand new fly rod with string and everything from Cabela's. So you know it's cool. And, and I was like, no. And so I pull it out and I was, I was so grateful and just amazed. And he said, keep going. And I'm like, what? And I look in the box and further down is this blue box like this. And I'm like, what? What is it? And I open up and it is full of, of brand new flies, all different kinds. And, you know, they all look funny and um, they look delicious to a trout, though, I guess. So um, and so I'm like, oh, that's am- that's amazing. So I, um, you know, and so then later that day he takes me out and we're practicing in the front yard. And see, you, even even as I open it up and even as I pulled out the rod, I didn't really understand fully what what all this present was. It wasn't until I got out in the yard and started practicing with it that I thought, wow, this is incredible. And even then, I still didn't fully understand it because it wasn't until six or so months later that I was able to take it out fishing and I caught fish with it. And I really began to understand, wow, this is a, a great present. Um, I believe, I say that because I believe that, that in Christ, when we have given our life to him, uh, we don't, in, in those initial moments, I think that we sometimes fail to see all that we possess and fail to see the magnitude of the gift that we have been given by him and through him and all that we possess as a child, as a son, and as a daughter of the Lord. Um, and so this morning, my, my desire is to bring us back to that, is to inspire us with Christ, that, that is to, to remind us of what we have in Christ, that we may be inspired by him, and being inspired by him, we will inspire Christ's likeness in others. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians 1. We'll be reading from 1 to verse 14. Uh, let me give you a little introduction to the text while you're turning there. The purpose of this statement, uh, the purpose of this of this letter was to be read to the churches in Ephesus and really beyond. Paul couldn't just Skype in with, he was in prison at the time and he couldn't just, you know, dial up his cell and, and do some FaceTime with, with the church in Ephesus. So he sends this letter and really it is, uh, it is for the church in Ephesus and it's supposed to be for beyond the church in Ephesus. So his desire was that the, this letter be written and copied and sent out to other churches. And really, it is, uh, it is to be read in its entirety to the church. And um, so it's, it's ultimately, it's a sermon from Paul on behalf of Paul to the church in Ephesus. And like I said, beyond. Uh, it is ultimately a sermon on the mystery of the church, the bride of Christ. And this opening section is a section of teaching, but it's, it's a section of praise. He opens his letter. He opens his sermon in praise, similar to, to how we do. We open our time together, our time of meeting, praising and glorifying God, setting our hearts right. And Paul's in this opening section is a, is a section of praise. Uh, this was a section of worship, so to speak, to put their minds and hearts of the believers in the right place. It's interesting to note in the section that we'll really be focusing on, verses 3 to 14, uh, in, in the original, it was really all one sentence. Uh, Paul was the king of run-on sentences. His uh, you English teachers would have a nightmare trying to diagram this sentence. Um, but in it is a deep, it is a deep and a profound text. It is powerful in what it reveals about the character of God and what it calls us, the body of Christ, to. I want to make two 
qualifying statements before, I, before we read this. Uh, number one, as I said, Paul wrote this to an audience of Christ followers, to the church. And so believers, this message and this text is for you. We who name the name of Jesus, we who bow the knee to him and call him Lord, we who know salvation, we understand this text that is, is applicable and it is, it is written for us. You who do not follow Christ, if you have not given your life to him, this is not written for you. You can't fully understand the depth of God's love for you because you haven't experienced it. You don't know the forgiveness of God. But the message of this text is that you can. And that's the hope that I want you to take away from this morning. So listen, even if you don't know the Lord, because this, uh, you can know the depths of God's love and the, the, the magnitude of the present that he offers you. Second qualifying statement is that the purpose of this message this morning is to remind us of the depth and breadth of what God has done for us in Christ. And so I will say very little this morning about day to day, day in and day out, how you can live your life for Christ, day in and day out, how you can go about inspiring Christ-likeness in others. Because I believe that we are not inspiring Christ-likeness because we have a weak and petty understanding of what truly has happened when we were saved. And it is only as we are more inspired by Christ that we will truly inspire Christ-likeness in others. Inspiring Christ-likeness is, is a result. It is a consequence of being inspired by Christ. And so this morning, it is just, our, our purpose is just to look at the scripture and be reminded of all that we have in him and be inspired by him because as a result of that, we will inspire Christ-likeness in others. And your main point, if you're taking notes, encourage you to take notes. If you didn't get a uh, notes or fill-ins this morning, you can run back there and grab one. I won't make fun of you. You're welcome to do that. But uh, if you're taking notes, as we are inspired by Christ, we will inspire Christ-likeness. As we are inspired by Christ, we will inspire Christ-likeness. As I said, so this message will lay a theological foundation for the messages to come. So it's important that we keep our Bibles open we keep our notes ready, and we put our thinking caps on, as they said, as they told me often in first grade. And finally, don't just think with your mind this morning, but open up your heart. Uh, so let's read. This is, again, Ephesians 1, 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we may be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, 
making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. A lot there. <laughs> that is some, some deep and profound truths that Paul reveals in that very short section. Your first point, if you're taking notes, and Paul, let me pause there for a sec. I'm getting ahead of myself, getting excited. Um, Paul kind of breaks down this section into three parts, and he, he reveals in, within it is this incredible mystery, and he, talks, he, he reveals um, the Trinity within it. You see, you see God the Father, you see him working in Jesus Christ, and you see the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, as the seal and as the guarantee of our future in Christ and our, our inheritance, our salvation, our salvation to come. And, uh, in it, he, so he talks about what happened in the past, what happened in eternity past before we even existed and what God did and God's work in eternity past. He reveals in the middle of this section, God, Jesus' redeeming work and what he has done in the present, what he has done in us. And then he reveals our future, our future inheritance to come and how we are sealed in Christ through the Spirit. And we'll talk about that in a second. But your first point, if you're taking notes, verses three to six, be inspired because of your adoption in eternity past. Be inspired because of your adoption in eternity past. Paul isn't teaching some kind of bizarre pre-existence. He's not saying that you once existed long ago in some world or anything like that. But what he is saying, if you're taking notes, is that before time and all creation, the Father chose us and adopted us because of his love and for his glory. Before time and all creation, the Father chose us and adopted us because of his love and for his glory. Verse three is, is Paul's opening praise and worship for all that God has done, for all that God has done for us. He has blessed us with the most important, with, with everything, and the most important thing that he's blessed us with is what he reveals in verses four to six. Paul reveals here the most incredible act of mercy and goodness that truly surpasses all comprehension. He reveals the reality and the truth of what Jesus Christ has done, in, uh, has done in us and what God has done for us. He shows that we who know Christ as Lord, we believers, before the world ever existed, before God spoke a galaxy into existence, before we ever knew him, before we ever even wanted to know him, he knew us and in his rich and incredible 
and incomprehensible love when we were not his child. Not only did he know us, but he chose us. He called your name and my name and he chose and and decided that we would be children of his. He chose to adopt us as his children. This is a profound and incredible truth. Verse four tells what he did. And in verse five and six, it tells us why he did it. The words in love at the very end of verse four uh, actually are supposed to go with verse five. Uh, there's a, there should be a pause there. And the punctuation in your, in your Bibles will probably pick that up. But it says, in love, he chose us and adopted us to be, to be his. It is in his love that he predestined us for adoption. And it is for his glory that that section points out. It is that he will be glorified, that he will be magnified, that his name will be made great. This idea of adoption is a a prominent illustration in in word picture that Paul uses here, but it is also one that he uses in Galatians 4, and he uses it also in Romans 8. It's very profound in Romans 8. And it is a relatively common practice in Paul's day. So in in the Roman world at this time, the idea of adoption was common. It wasn't so much as we know it now, but how it was was used is that if um, if a couple, if a typically a very prominent, wealthy businessman who was older, who was getting along in years, if he didn't have a child of his own, one that he would pass on his wealth to, pass on all of his belongings and inheritance and possessions and people and power, if he didn't have someone that he could, you know, a, a child, a son or a daughter, that he could pass that on to, he would literally adopt someone to be his son so that when he passed away, all of his inheritance would be passed on to that adopted son. And that adopted son, it wasn't something that, um, it wasn't something that this son absorbed the, the adopted father's inheritance into the things he already owned. It wasn't like he was assigned to be just a manager of the deceased father's, you know, Stuff. He wasn't just supposed to be like somebody, somebody to run, run the farm while I'm gone. He, in every way, took on the full inheritance, the full identification of sonship. Uh, the, the man would adopt this younger person to be his, and in every way, he was considered in, in, uh, legally binding in every way of the law and how everyone saw them, that that person would literally be a son uh, to this person. He would experience the complete fullness of being a son to the father. And Paul says that 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 is what we have when God adopted us before time and all creation. We fully identify with him as his children. And what's even more amazing here is that this, you know, this, this wealthy person that, that adopts this son, they wouldn't just pick some Joe Schmo. They wouldn't pick some, some hooligan on the street. They would pick someone that they loved, that was near their heart. They would pick someone that showed great responsibility, great competence to, to manage and to run things when, when the father passed away. But what Paul picks up on, what Paul, the, the amazing contrast between those two things is that Paul says, before time even existed, God chose to adopt us. Um, 
In Romans 5, it says that when we were enemies of him, he chose us. In Ephesians 2, it says when we were dead in our trespasses and sin. In other words, when we were not worthy, when we did not show good character, when we did not show competence or responsibility, when we hated God, he chose us and loved us and adopted us to be his sons and his daughters. That is incredible. I realize that this section can bring up questions about when Paul talks about predestination and um, it can bring up questions and what that fully means and different believers have different views and opinions on what that, what that looks like. And there are, there are different camps, I guess is the word, within Christianity who, um, who have different ideas. And I want to answer that as best as I can, but I want to focus on the point of the message so I don't want to get uh, too far down that rabbit trail because it is, um, people write whole books on that issue and that topic. But it is, let me just say that it is uh, this idea that God in his absolute goodness chose me before the creation of the world is a profound mystery to me. The idea that scripture says in Ephesians that we were predestined, that God chose us before we ever could choose him is a mystery. Yet in John 1, 12, Jesus says to all who would receive him, who believed in his name, excuse me, Jesus didn't say that, John is, is saying that about Jesus. Um, all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So John is saying whoever chooses Christ, he gives the right to become children in Matthew 23, Jesus weeps over Jerusalem and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the, the city that, that kills the prophets, how I long to gather you to myself. How it was, he says, it was my desire to gather you to myself as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not, you were not willing. In other words, it was, it was on Jesus' heart to bring the people to himself, but they refused. So there is this tension there. There is this this struggle with, and this mystery with, Scripture shows it, that I have a responsibility, that I, that I am called to choose God. And yet it still says that before time and all creation, we were predestined, we were chosen by him. So there is, there is, as I said, this mystery and this tension. And we want to say, does God choose us or do we choose God? We want to make it an either or, but really Scripture shows both and. Scripture reveals both of these things to be true. Scripture teaches the absolute choice and sovereignty of God Almighty, and yet it still teaches the responsibility of man. I don't know how all that works. If uh, you think about it too hard, it kind of gives you a headache. I don't, know, I don't know how it works, but then again, I'm not God. I can't fully fathom him. I'm glad that I worship a God that is beyond my full comprehension. If I could fully get him, if I could fully understand how he works, that would be a pretty limited, weak God. But we serve a God who existed before time ever did, who never had a beginning or an end. I don't get that. That is a mystery to me. We worship a God who spoke galaxies into existence, and yet Isaiah says that he measures the galaxies with the span of his hand. And yet Ephesians says that before he spoke any of those things into existence, he chose you and he chose me. That is incredible. That inspires me. Again, this tension, this mystery is on my end. It's not on God's. I, I caution you to say that just because I don't get it, 
means I don't accept it. If that's the case, then you have to completely deny God because he is beyond our comprehension. I'm okay with my finite mind not fully understanding an infinite God. Um, I read this book. Uh, I have read all of it. It's, a, it's an old commentary on, uh, on Ephesians. I was reading it this week. Um, it was written by Harry Ironside, who's long since gone to be with the Lord. He was a pastor of Moody Church in, in Chicago. It, it even smells old. It's got that old book smell. I love that. I just, I probably look funny. I sit in my office sometimes when I read these things. I'm like, you know, it's better that than Sharpies, I guess. <laughs> I didn't say that in the first service. But Ironside says this, it was God himself who purposed our salvation in the past eternity. It is Jesus Christ who wrought out our salvation upon the cross when the fullness of time had come. It is God, the Holy Spirit, who convicts us and brings us to repentance and to a saving knowledge of the grace of God as revealed in Christ. We cannot take any credit to ourselves for our salvation. A little boy was asked by a man, have you found Jesus? The boy looked up and said, sir, I don't know. I didn't know he was lost, but I was, and he found me. We do not have to do the seeking after him. He sought us because of the love that was in his heart from eternity. He quotes Charles Spurgeon here, and he said, God certainly must have chosen me before I came into this world, or he never would have done so afterwards. I love that quote. Um, Even though this is a mystery, it causes causes me simply to marvel at his incredible goodness that despite um, the vast separation between him and me, he still chose me and still um, went after me. And I fear that we are not inspiring Christ's likeness because we have such a weak understanding of, the vast, of this vastness between God and us and how low he stooped to die on the cross for us and the incredible worth that he placed on us even though we didn't deserve it. Your second point, if you're taking notes, verses seven through 10, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Be inspired because of your redemption by grace in the present because of your redemption by grace in the present. Continuing on your notes, in the present, Jesus Christ redeemed us and revealed his will to us. So when we gave our life to Christ, he redeemed us. This idea of redeem, this word redeem, is kind of a churchy word. We use it a lot. We do use it in our our culture occasionally, typically with gift cards, redeemable at uh, near Starbucks, at your local Starbucks or something. But the idea of redeem is that it means to pay a price in order to secure the release of something or someone. To pay a price in order to release the secu- to secure the release of something or someone. In Paul's day, it was often used with slavery. Um, it was a, a legal thing that someone could do where when somebody bought a slave, they possessed them fully, and it was within their rights to release them to freedom, to redeem them, to set them free. And that person, that slave wouldn't, you know, have any fear of being 
captured or put back into slavery. They were fully free in the eyes of the law. They were redeemed. And this is what Paul is trying to communicate is that we were slaved and owed a debt to God that could never be worked off. It could never be paid by us, but it could be paid by his son. This is in, in one sentence, this idea of redeem is that Jesus paid the debt that we owed to God's holiness. Jesus paid the debt that we owed to God's holiness. And after he bought us, he brought us into a loving relationship with him. And that's, that's what's amazing is he doesn't say, all right, you're forgiven, petty humans, go about doing whatever you want. Not only did he secure our freedom, but he brought us into a loving relationship with him. What astounds me is that Paul doesn't stop here. It says that he makes known to us the mystery of his will to unite all things together in him. You see, we are not saved so that we can sit passively back on the sidelines. We are not saved so that we can just go about our lives unaffected. We are saved and we are made partners with Christ in this work of redeeming mankind. Not, and God doesn't need us. That's what amazes me. He could do it a whole lot better than I could or you could. He could redeem humanity all on his own. And yet he chooses to use us and to partner with us into working out his will and redeeming humanity. That is amazing. What a gift, as Paul says, that has been lavished upon us. We should be astounded by this. We should be captivated, enamored by what Christ has done for us, what he has done in this work of redemption. Not only are we given this gift of salvation and adopted, but we are be allowed to be a part of his work, his incredible work in the lives of others. If we just shoot God a little, thanks buddy, appreciate it. Um, what, what impact is our salvation really having in our hearts? If we are just going about our day, not giving him a thought, just simply occasionally, yeah, thanks for, thanks for saving me. Kind of earned it on my own, but, you know, I guess you helped out a little. No, guys, we need to be captivated. We need to be brought to our knees in gratitude to the one who saved us. If this is, if you're having struggle really with this idea of really breaking into your heart, I encourage you, I call you to read Ephesians, read through Romans, do it again and again. Know the depths of the gift of salvation that you have in and through Christ. Verses 11 to 14, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, and this is where he talks about the future, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed for the promised, by, with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So he's saying that when we gave our life to Christ, we had the Holy Spirit put in us. And that Holy Spirit is a seal. It is a guarantee of our future hope of salvation. It isn't just this like, if I've been good enough, I hope I can be saved. This is a guarantee that on the day we die, if we have given our life to Christ, we will stand before him made completely right, fully justified, fully made right in his sight. And this idea of a seal goes back again to this, the culture. They didn't 
sign documents stating their, their legal status. You know, an official wouldn't sign his name to something, but he would put his seal, a signet ring. You've probably seen this in movies where, you know, it's like this, it's this raised ring and it's got an, it's got an emblem signifying who they were. And it is, it is like our signature of the day. And so they would put their signature on a document and they would say, this is from me. This is legal. This is binding. This is truth. It is as if it is coming from my very lips. And so Paul is saying that we have the Holy Spirit inside of us as a guarantee of what we have in Christ. I think the reason that many, um, did I give you the third fill-in? No, okay, I'm getting ahead. I'm so excited about this stuff. Your third fill-in, I realize I'm getting ahead of myself. Be inspired because of your certainty of salvation in the future. Be inspired because of your certainty of salvation in the future. Why do we get so despaired and discouraged about the world around us when we are certain of the hope we have in Christ? Be inspired by it because of the certainty of salvation in the future. In the future, the Holy Spirit has guaranteed our inheritance for the praise of his glory. Guaranteed our inheritance for the praise of his glory. Again, I think the reason that many Christians are not inspiring Christ's likeness is because they are so preoccupied with what is going on around them, with the problems of this world, discouraged with the current state of things that they forget the absolute certainty of the future that they possess in Christ. In concluding, I want to give two reasons why I believe we are not inspiring. We are not inspired by Christ. And this is something I, I want us all to be thinking about and working on. One, again, we, we focus, we are so focused and overwhelmed by the troubles and injustices of this world, by what's going on around us, by our own world, you know, by our own, just our own little life, that this world has stolen our joy and we forget that one day God will make all things right. The righteous judge will judge things rightly. The righteous judge will make things right. Do not get me wrong, we should be, we should be mindful of the things around us, the problems around us. We should work to reach out and meet the needs of others. Jesus did that throughout his whole life. He met the needs of others and we should be doing the same. That should, that's compassion. That should be on our heart. Is a desire to be like Christ. We should love others. That's part of love. But again, not to the point that we should not be so frustrated and so struggling so much with the problems around us that we are not um, that we lose sight of what our future holds. And number two, I think we are so captivated by the things of this world that the enemy has fooled us into thinking that it's the most important thing, to thinking that um, it will bring us ultimate joy and satisfaction, but it never does. How many things do you own that sit in a closet that once captivated you, that once you couldn't stop researching and shopping for and, and looking for, and once you got it, you were, oh, you were so excited, and yet now it just sits in the garage or sits in the closet or takes up space, or you're looking to get rid of it, or you're looking to sell it. Guys, we need to be so captivated with Christ. We need to be inspired by him all the more, and in so doing, we will inspire Christ's likeness. Again, if you don't know the salvation, the greatness of the salvation of which I speak, talk to me afterwards. Talk to someone around you. Ask them, how can I know Jesus? How can I know the salvation? I want a piece of that. Brothers and sisters, meditate on these things in this text. Be enamored 
with Christ once again. Be captivated by him. Fall back in love with him. Be inspired by him once again. And as you do that, you will inspire Christ-likeness in others. Let me pray for us. Great and merciful and wonderful Father, uh, we stand only before you this morning because of the work of your Son, and it is only uh, through him that we are saved. And Father, we pray that you would forgive us for the many, many times that we give so little thought to the gift that we have truly been given. Lord, I pray that you would do a work, that you would open our eyes, that you would soften our hearts and help us to see accurately what we have in and through you, that we would be enamored that we would be captivated by you, that we would fall back in love with you once again. Lord, we love you. We long for these things. And we do it that you will be glorified and that others will be inspired to follow you. We pray this in your name. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.